Philippians. I know I had previously told you Ephesians, but that was a long time ago. A lot's changed since then. It's a different world now. So we're going to be studying the book of Philippians together. Uh, It's four short chapters, so it'll probably take us about four years or so to get through it. Should be easy, no problem. I I really believe it's profoundly prophetic for us as a church right now, the book of Philippians. I've been getting radically blessed as I've been studying it and reading it. We uh, will start reading in verse 1 and see how far we get. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy. Stop right there. That's as far as we're getting today. (laughs) I mean it. Lord, we just thank you for this book. We thank you for this fresh season in our church where your spirit's moving in a new, tangible way. There's, There's this fresh move of your spirit in our midst. Lord, we sense it. We embrace it. We want to cultivate it. We thank you for what you've done in our lives and in our church. But because we have an understanding of grace and for your glory, we would say, Lord, do even more. Do even more, Lord. We thank you for the book of Philippians and that the main point of it is the joy of the Lord, the joy that comes from knowing you that is bigger and more wonderful than all the circumstances and challenges and difficulties and pitfalls of life. It's greater than the pain and the suffering that we know in this life and that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we thank you for this season of joy coming and your Holy Spirit and Jesus getting to know you better. We ask that it would be incredibly fruitful and that this morning you would speak to us now. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of this message is The Holy Spirit and Philippians. We're going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit started the church in Philippi. And what we're going to see for our own personal lives is how the Holy Spirit wants to lead us because God cares for us more than we even dare to think, I believe, more than we might have ever imagined. God cares about your life. Some of us are going through the hardest things we've ever gone through. Some of us are experiencing tremendous loss. Some of us are going through pain and suffering, uncertainty, great trials. And you need to know that God knows about those things, that he loves you more than you could ever imagine. He's concerned about the minutia of your life and he wants to speak to you and lead you and comfort you and direct you by his spirit. And we'll see that in the birthing of this church today. So today's lesson is the Holy Spirit and Philippians. Next week, We're going to look at both the broad and immediate context of Philippians, as well as get an overview of the whole book, okay? So that's going to be the big picture of Philippians. Sometimes when you do a verse-by-verse study, you can miss the big picture. It gets lost in all the details, but the big picture of this book is really important. So next week, we'll talk about the big picture of Philippians, and then the week after, we're going to talk about the critical concept in Philippians. What is the main point? How can we unpack that a little bit as we dive into the details of it. So if you got what I just said, yes, we're going to do three whole weeks of introduction before we actually get into the text. Is that overkill? Absolutely. But everything I do is overkill. So that's what we're going to do. Three whole weeks of introduction. 
Before we get into Philippians, I just think that we should journey on the road to Philippians. We just read Paul and Timothy. How did Paul and Timothy get to Philippi? How did they get involved in this church? The book of Philippians was originally a letter written by Paul to a church in a city called Philippi. We'll talk more about that next week. Written by Paul to a church in a city called Philippi. It says Paul and Timothy at the beginning of it, but honestly, I think Paul's just throwing Timothy a bone. I don't think Timothy had anything to do with it. I think it's Paul and Paul, you know, Timothy was a boy and Paul's just like, hey, you want to be in the Bible here? I'll hook you up. There you go. <laughs> Paul and Timothy just threw him a little Bible bone there. Uh, the city of Philippi, it is in modern day Greece, nestled in between Italy and Turkey. I brought a map. I'm a dude. I like maps. Let's take a look at it. Here's the map. I brought a laser pointer. Watch your corneas. Did I get you? Okay, so here's our map. This is the Mediterranean Sea right here. Over here is Israel. We're all familiar with that. There's Jerusalem. Okay, this area up here is Asia, but more specifically, this is modern-day Turkey. Okay, there's the Black Sea. Then we've got the Aegean Sea. You move across there, and this is southeastern Europe, modern-day Greece right here. There's Italy. Looks like the boot. You remember that from school. And right there is Philippi. See it? Philippi. Philippi is right there in modern-day Greece. Now, We're going to look at Acts chapter 16, and we're going to see the backstory of the church. How did it get started? How did Paul wind up there? And what was the role of the power and the person of the Holy Spirit in that? Before we get to the letter of Philippians and study that, it's important for us to realize that there was required of Paul, some real receptivity to the Holy Spirit. The Paul, Paul, excuse me, not the Paul, Paul had to truly hear the voice of God and obey the voice of God for this church ever to come into existence. And what I want us to start to see from that, as I mentioned earlier, is that it works the same in our lives. We need to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit. We need to be able to receive leading from the Holy Spirit for the issues of our day, for the issues that we're facing. So let's look at how it worked out with the Church of Philippi and Paul's life. Go to Acts 16. Acts chapter 16. Now the events of Acts chapter 16 take place about 10 years before Paul ever wrote Philippians. It is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. And when he first set out on this missionary journey, what he intended to do was visit some of the churches in Asia Minor that he started during his first missionary journey. That's what it says in verse 36 of chapter 15. He just wanted to visit some of those churches, strengthen the people there and the leadership, make sure everything was cool. He picked up Timothy on the way in the beginning of chapter 16. That's a great story there. We don't have time for it, but that's how Paul and Timothy get hooked up. And so now we have traveling together, Paul Timothy, Silas, and Luke. And we pick it up in verse 4 of Acts 16. It says, Now while they were passing through the cities, 
They were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. That's speaking of the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15. That's another teaching. Verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Stop right there for a moment. Paul's missional goal is being accomplished. He just wanted to go and encourage those churches, strengthen them, see if they were well and healthy. He sees that the church is growing. There's strengthening going on by this missionary band going and ministering. Everything's going according to plan so far. And then in verse six, it starts to get weird. Verse six, and they were passing through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Okay. So, let's go back to our map and get a grip on what's going on here. So over here, we have Iconium and Lystra, Paul had been there on his previous missionary journey. There were churches that were started there. In this region is all the churches of Revelation 1 through 3, all the churches of Asia Minor, uh, Ephesus, Colossae, Philadelphia, all those places. So what Paul wanted to do as he was coming through this region was he wanted to press further toward the west and he would have wanted to go to Ephesus. We know that Paul's modus operandi was he always went to the leading city in a region and Ephesus was that one. So that's always what Paul did. He was wanting to go to Ephesus, Western Asia Minor and the Holy Spirit forbid him to do it. Okay, Paul didn't want to do anything bad. He wanted to do something good. He wanted to go preach the gospel in a major urban center. He would get there later on, a couple chapters away, a few years later in the book of Acts. But the Holy Spirit said no. Paul wanted to go there. It was a good thing he wanted to do. The Holy Spirit forbid him to do it. So Paul's thinking, okay, uh, the Lord's not letting me go west to Ephesus. So I'll head up to Bithynia in this area up here, northern modern day Turkey. And again, it says the spirit of Jesus forbid him to go. Twice he hears from the Lord, no, don't do that. That is extremely important, but it is totally unexplained in the text. If you were to ask Paul after verse six, hey, are you going to go to Ephesus? I could totally see you going to Ephesus, major urban center, total stronghold of paganism. Are you going to go there and preach the gospel? Paul would have said to you after verse six, no, I'm not going to go. And you say, Paul, why aren't you going? The Lord told me not to go. Okay, we're going to go up to Bithynia. That's an important region up there. Press a little further into Asia, get the gospel further north than it's ever been. You're going to go up there? No. Why? The Lord told me not to go. That's a profound and very important thing, but it is totally unexplained. And yet, it is common Christian vernacular, isn't it? We all say that from time to time. We all hear that from time to time. I say it often. The Lord told me. Or I'm sensing from the Lord. Or the Lord is leading in this way. Or or the Lord revealed that. It's incredibly important. I just don't know that it's explained anywhere in Scripture. I totally believe in it. I give tremendous import to it. I practice it in my life. I think every Christian needs to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit. But it's one of those things that just isn't laid out point by point. It's just not. 
It's one of those parts of Christianity that's, it's mystical. It's, it's ethereal. We want it to be a little more cerebral. Most of us, we want to put some handles on it. We want three points to hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want. That we could do. You see, what we want is religion. That's what we want. But religion is not what we've been called into. We've been called into a relationship, okay? And a relationship with a God who is communicative, who cares deeply and intimately about every detail of your life and wants to speak to you. Yes, he will speak to you through his word. Yes, he'll speak to you through other people. He'll speak to you through circumstances, but he will also speak to you prophetically by the Holy Spirit. And, and it's a relational thing. And I, I struggle because I want to be able to put some how-tos on it for you, but that's not the way that it works. You just got to learn how to do this with the Lord. Every husband understands this right? You've got to learn to listen to your wife. It is not automatic. It's not an automatic thing. It is like mystical and ethereal. You got to like, like read between the lines and have a vision of what she might actually be saying and kind of like feel that out. And you got to learn to listen to your wife. It's a relational thing. It's incredibly important. It's got huge implications. So it is with listening to the Lord. You, you got to learn it. You got to give yourself to it. You, you got to pursue the person of the Holy Spirit. And, oh man, I desperately want to give you A, B, and C. I just, I just don't know what it is. What I do know is that Paul clearly heard the Lord say no, and that's important. You know, the Lord is going to say no to us from time to time. I, I feel like the last couple years of my life, I've heard no more than I've heard yes from the Lord. And, and it's really important that, that we, we, number one, as I've been saying, learn to hear that, but number two, purpose to obey that. When the Lord says no, we really got to obey. The, the, the implications are, are profound. They would have been so profound for Paul. What if Paul had blown off the Lord and just gone to Ephesus too early or gone up to Bithynia? Okay, what, what the Lord wanted to have take place would not have taken place. So is there any place in your life where the Lord is telling you no? You, you, you gotta hear that and you gotta heed that. And again, it's a mystical thing. What do you mean he's telling me no? Is it an audible voice? I don't know. It's for some of you it is. Is it an impression? Yeah, it's usually an impression for me. What the heck is an impression? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I know that when you hear the Lord, you hear the Lord. It's pretty clear. You're, you're, you're pretty sure about that. Now, that's not to say that we won't make mistakes. We're, we're going to make mistakes. The thing about hearing prophetically from the Lord is it can be messy. It really can because the Lord is infallible, but we're super fallible, right? The Lord doesn't make mistakes, but we're all over the map. We're messy. So we're going to make some mistakes. We're going to hear wrong and take some missteps and have some wrong interpretations. And that's okay, guys. Okay, we need to have grace with each other when that goes down and we need to be understanding and none of us should expect each other to be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect, you know? And so when we're trying to discern prophetically the voice of the Lord, it can be messy. And what should be providence could sometimes turn into presumption. The Lord is telling me this, but really it's just kind of what you want to do. But there's so much at stake. The Lord is telling you no. And, and you're sure that that's the Lord. You, you, got, you got to obey that. 
You got to obey that. So Paul's been told no twice. So now he's like in a holding pattern. And they go to Troas, which is over on the coast of modern day Turkey there. And they're just waiting. Okay, Lord, what do we do? All we're hearing is no's. Sometimes life is like that, right? Sometimes it's just in a holding pattern. Okay, then we pick it up in verse nine. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, a few things here. Paul sees a vision. How many, don't raise your hand. Who, have many of you ever seen a vision? Paul, Paul has a vision. And of course it happens at night, so it's creepy, right? I mean, there's this guy like, come to Macedonia. I mean, it happens at night. There's this vision and gosh, that just seems so gnarly and out there. But what I want to tell you is that biblically speaking, it, it shouldn't be out there. It actually should kind of be normal biblical Christianity. Turn to Acts chapter 2 real quick. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has just fallen on the church. They're speaking in tongues, declaring the wonderful work of God, and people are there from different nations, and they're hearing it in their own tongue. This miracle's going on. The church has just been birthed by the Holy Spirit out of a prayer meeting. And then Peter, full of the Holy Spirit now, stands up as a spokesman to explain what's going on to the people looking. And in verse 16 of Acts 2, he says, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. That's enough. You can go back to 16. So Peter says, here's the explanation of what's going on here. God's people have God's spirit in them. And God's spirit communicates to them and through them, through prophecy, dreams, and visions. Young, old, men, and women. What he's kind of saying is that that sort of thing should be normative in the church. I don't know that it should be as rare as it seems. It definitely shouldn't be seen as weird like many of us see it, right? We hear about that stuff and, oh, God is desperately concerned about your life. He's concerned about your relationships, your career, your parenting, your, your daily decisions. He, he wants to speak to you. He wants to lead to you and he lead you and he's given us his spirit to do that. And all I'm trying to say is that maybe as Christians, we should be more attentive to the person in the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe as a church in this season, the Holy Spirit is calling us to a deeper place where we're really wanting to hear him in order that we might obey him and in order that we might better represent him in order that we might know Jesus in a more fuller way through the voice of the Spirit. So, He's got this vision. I want you to notice that it's a, a community thing. It says in verse 10, Paul got the vision, but we all went to Macedonia. We concluded that God called us to preach the gospel. This kind of stuff is best done in community, right? They, they agreed, here's how the Spirit is leading us. And so they now go to Philippi. 
says there in verse 11, therefore putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to that place, I can't pronounce it, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, colony, and we were staying in this city for many days. So he first heard no's, then he got a vision, now he obeys, they find themselves in Philippi, and this represents a turning point in history. It's the first time that the gospel goes to Europe. Previously, it had been confined in the region of Asia, in the Middle East there, on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. Now, crossing the Aegean Sea, the gospel goes into Europe for the first time. This is a profound moment. The implications of Paul being able to hear and obey were huge, enormous, would affect the world for thousands of years. I want us to think about that for our own lives. The implications of us hearing from the Lord and obeying are profound. Our lives aren't going to look just like Paul's, but there's meaningful stuff that goes on. Strategic God stuff for his glory and your well-being. And this church plant was a strategic church plant of God there in Philippi. It depended on God's people being able to hear and obey the voice of the Lord. Again, I don't know how that happens, but I know that when it does happen, you know that you know. Some years ago, seven and a half years ago, um, I was working in the family business, Channel Island Surfboards. My parents owned Channel Island Surfboards, and it was their plan and goal, as it was mine, that I would take over the family business, and that was like a dream scenario. I was so stoked to do that. There's nothing else in life that I wanted to do. Make surfboards, own the business, travel the world, and surf all gravy. I was so excited about that. But the Lord had bamboozled me and gotten me doing this Bible study thing, and uh, it blew up, and it became a college ministry on a Friday night at a church in Santa Barbara, 800 kids on a Friday night. So seven and a half years ago, I'm doing both of those. And my wife and I are on vacation with my family in Idaho. My parents own a little tiny cabin in Idaho, and we're there, and we're sleeping in this little log cabin. And we wake up in the morning, Kate and I, and we look at each other, and we both knew that we, with some friends, were supposed to start a church in Carpinteria. We just knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. I, I can't really explain it to you. Was it an audible voice? It wasn't a voice for me. It was this, this sense, and we both just knew. There was no question about it. Went upstairs and told my parents, picked up the phone, called my best friend, Pastor G, said, I'm in, made some other calls, and it, it just, we just knew. Now, there had been some circumstances previously there had been some no's from the Lord, some closed doors. I had had offers to uh, start churches other places, to be on staff at churches. Of course, I had the offer to take over the family business. There were other options, but the Lord was telling me, no, you're not going to Ephesus, you're not going to Bithynia. He's closing some doors and didn't know what was going on. But all of a sudden, we heard the voice of God. And what I want to tell you is that God wants to speak to you and he's able to make himself clear. And we ought to be pursuing that more as people instead of just creating our own story. We're being invited into God's story by his spirit through prophetic revelation. And I want us to give careful attention to that. You know, this church was birthed that way, prophetically hearing from God. This church in Philippi was birthed that way. Paul hearing prophetically. All of the reality church plants have gone that way. You guys know Tim Chaddock. He was our first church planter and... Um, 
He's down in L.A. When he first came on with us as a church planner in training, he wanted to plant a church in San Francisco. He'd grown up in the Bay Area, and he was just into it and had a heart for it, and that's where he thought he was going. But we started praying together and seeking the Lord, and prophetically, the Lord told us that it was Los Angeles. And he's gone down there, and the fruit of it is evident. It's the fastest-growing church in the city of Los Angeles. It's exploding. It's unbelievable. NBC's doing a story on it this week. It's just unbelievable what God is doing down there. That, that was the Lord. But you see, he had his own idea, wanted to push on toward Ephesus, Bithynia, and he, he had to, we had to hear God say no, and then prophetically learn where we were supposed to go. Same thing with Dave Lomas. When we brought him on as a church planner in training, he's now in the city of San Francisco. When he first came on, he wanted to go to Santa Clarita, which I knew wasn't the Lord because <laughs> why? Never. What? Dave, you idiot. Let's pray. What are you thinking? And through multiple visions, prophetic dreams, prophetic utterances, impressions, just the Holy Spirit led him to San Francisco. It was not previously even anywhere on his radar. Just like Philippi for Paul, but the Lord led him there. The fruit of it is evident. The church is exploding. Last year is the fastest growing church in the city of San Francisco. God's doing incredible things up there. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. And then Josh, our church planner in Stockton. Josh's story is different. When Josh was a little kid, he had a vision. Jesus came to his room took him by his hand and walked him through the streets of Stockton and men and women were falling down worshiping Jesus, repenting of their sins. He knew from this vision that he was going to preach the gospel in that city. That's the spirit of God leading God's people for God's glory. The fruit is evident. They're opening up like their 9,000th campus this week or something like that. At the beginning of this church, three different people very close to me, one of them, my father, another one uh, who's on staff now, young lady, and another person, all had visions when this church first started of us as a congregation marching up Linden Avenue. That's the main drag where the Avocado Festival is right now. Marching up Linden Avenue, singing worship songs to the Lord and people coming out of their businesses tripping out. (laughs) So three different people, none of them knew the other had the vision all had that and came and told me. And I, I wasn't that stoked because that's not really my gig. Like I'm pretty bold for the Lord, happy, clappy, worship, whatever, but rolling down Linden with everybody worshiping, like not really my thing. So that was, I just took that and kind of put it in my back. It was like a back pocket prophecy. Some prophecies you put in your front pocket, some you stick in your back pocket and you're like, oh, we'll see about that. <laughs> so we started the church September 7th, 2003. And then December came around, Christmas. And we started the church. Our first service, we had over 500 people. Um, by Christmas time, two-thirds of them were gone. I had offended so many people that they left. I always do that. It's our church growth strategy. I had offended a bunch of people. They were gone. The church was, you know, was a couple hundred people at this time in a room that's set up for several hundred feels pretty small. And now it was the week right before Christmas, um, for some reason, nobody comes to church at Christmas time. So I show up on a Sunday morning and it just feels like nobody's there. You know, and I'm just like, oh, okay, Lord, what's, what's going on? And there was a stirring that started happening that morning in my spirit. What does that mean, a stirring? I don't know, dude. It's just, it's just the spirit is stirring in you. What do you mean? What does that feel like? 
dude, I don't know. You're just like, ah, oh, the Lord, something. And so I got up to the pulpit. I had a message. I was going to, I was going to say it. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came upon me. I said, you know what, guys? We're just going to grab our worship leader right now and follow him out the front door. And we're going to go up Linden and sing Christmas carols and worship songs to the Lord. And the worship leader's like, no, no. And I said, yeah, dude, we're going. And everyone in the congregation is like, except for like three Pentecostal women were like, oh, yes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, everyone else was like, no. And so I just said, come on. And we walked out the door and it was a couple hundred people, which in this room feels really like, oh, there's three people here. But when you get 200 people on the street on Linden, it's like call 911 mob. Like, <laughs> and so we started walking down the street singing worship songs and all the business people came out in the street and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> and we went up and down the street worshiping the Lord. And it was just one of those things where there had been those prophetic visions and then the spirit did it. And it's like, wow, I just know I'm in the will of God right now. As weird as that is, as intangible as it was, the Lord brought it to pass. And that's what's going on with the church in Philippi. And that's what's going on in your life. That's what's going on in your life. You see, God's not just concerned about church planting. He's concerned about our parenting. His spirit as is, as, is as, as active in our parenting as in church planting. He's as concerned about plumbing as he is preaching. It's not just about Sunday. It's what happens in your life on Monday. God's got something to say about that. He wants to lead you into fruitful places in that. And so now that the Spirit has led them to Philippi, check out the stuff that happens. Let's pick it up in verse 13. We're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit working through the gospel, working through men and women for the birth of a church. Verse 13 says, now that they're in Philippi, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have found me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, Paul's normal mode of operation was go into a city and then go to the synagogue there and begin to speak to the Jews first about the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, right? And then speak to other people and then the church would be established that way. There wasn't a synagogue in Philippi, apparently. Uh, the Jews believed at that time to start a synagogue in any city, you needed 10 Jewish males. They got that from when Abraham argued with God about destroying that city. Abraham got God down to 10. So the Jews said, okay, 10 is the number that God likes. You need at least 10 Jewish males to start a synagogue. There apparently wasn't one in the city. And so they hear about a prayer meeting, Jewish women, Jewish women are gathered at the riverside praying. And I, I just want to testify and tell you that in, in the life of the church and in the history of the church and in my own life, radical things happen when women get together and pray. I am so, I am so thankful for women that pray there's something radical about the life of prayer 
and women when they're together. Not to discount the guys. I, I happen to be one. I think guys need to pray more. I'm all for us praying, but it's right here. It's just something radical that happens when women get together and pray. And that, that was how this church was birthed right here. This church is birthed out of some women praying on the river. And you know what? This church was birthed out of some women praying. Before we started this church, there was a group of women along with one guy who were praying in Carpinteria for God to do a new work. The one guy is now our missionary down in uh, Mexico. And they were just praying every single week, God, do a new work. God, do a new work. And somehow in that prayer time, they, they sensed, what does that mean? They sensed from the Holy Spirit that I was supposed to help start this work and be one of the pastors. And so they scheduled an appointment with, appointment with me out at the church I was working at part-time in Santa Barbara. And they came and sat down in my office. I'm like, ladies, what can I do for you? And they're like, well, we've been praying. We've been praying a lot, a bunch of us all the time. And we feel that the Lord wants to start a new work in Carpinteria and that the Lord wants you to be the lead pastor. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was not feeling that at all. I just wasn't. That wasn't what I wanted to do. I still wanted to do Channel Island surfboards. That's all I ever wanted to do. And so, you know, I'm teaching Bible studies, already been bamboozled by the Lord. This Bible study thing's already out of control. Now I got these women in my office saying, you need to start a church in Carpinteria. It's the Lord. Obey. And I was like, it's not the Lord. You're tripping. Go away. <laughs> they were persistent. They were pressing it upon me. And I need to tell you, I was wrong. Like they were hearing from the Lord. I wasn't. They became an impetus through which Kate and I heard from the Lord ultimately later on, but they were hearing prophetically from God because they were praying. Listen, something happens when you pray together with people. At one time, I thought I was supposed to start a church out in Isla Vista, and I was moving in that direction. We were looking at buildings. This is before this church was started, and I was doing all these things and having these prayer meetings. It was in a prayer meeting with other people that God told me, no, you're not supposed to do that, but there's a guy that is. And it was as if the Holy Spirit just pointed to the other side of the prayer circle. I saw a guy walked up to him and said, hey, Lord just said, I'm not supposed to do what you are. And he's like, oh, Lord said the same thing to me. <laughs> us starting the Ventura campus. Ventura, you guys need to know that was birthed in prayer. Us praying and hearing from the Holy Spirit. Stuff happens when you pray with people. That's how this church, Philippi, was birthed. That's how this church was birthed. So there's this one woman who's not a Jew among these Jewish women. Her name is Lydia. She's called a worshiper of God. It could also be translated God-fearer. In this vernacular, that meant a non-Jewish person who was into the Jewish God. So worshiped the Jewish God. Paul starts preaching the gospel to these women. The Holy Spirit opens up her ears to hear the good news of the gospel. She receives Jesus Christ, is born again, saved, transformed. Here's what's interesting about the lady. She wasn't Jewish. She was Asian. Okay, Lydia is a city in uh, Asia Minor, Western Asia Minor. She was named after that. She was a trader in purple that was gotten there. She was an Asian woman who was wealthy because... Trading in purple was one of the most wealthy things you could do in that culture at that time. She was upper class. She's the first convert, the first one in that church. Upper class, Asian, wealthy woman. Okay, look what happens next in juxtaposition to that. Verse 16. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. 
Following after Paulinus, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. All right, this is a heavy duty deal. This is a slave girl. It's clear in the Greek that she's young. She's a girl, okay, very young. She's a slave. She's demonized, okay, has a demon that enables her to tell the future. Heavy-duty, freaky stuff. Young, fortune-teller, slave girl. Gnarly. Okay, this is not just any demon. Okay, the NASB says a spirit of divination. Okay, divination means to tell the future. Uh, the NIV calls it a spirit by which she predicted the future. Those are merely functional names and descriptions. In the Greek, it's pneuma pathon. Python spirit, okay? This is a python spirit. Here's why that's a big deal in Greece. Paul is in Greece right now because there's an ancient city in Greece called Delphi. Heard of it? You heard of the Delphi Oracle? Oracle means to tell the future. Ancient city of Delphi. In that city was a temple to the Greek god Apollos, right? He was the son of Zeus, okay? And so they worshiped Apollos there. There was a high priestess there whose name was Pythia, Pythia, because she was possessed by the spirit of Python. By it, she foretold the future. On the seventh day of every month, she would ceremonially, ceremonially bathe, sacrifice a goat to Apollos, go to a lower chamber underneath the temple, sit on a bronze altar, and begin to tell the future to people that could afford it. The New Testament tells us that what's behind those false gods that we would just call the Greek pantheon, the Roman pantheon, those pagan gods, what's behind those are demonic personalities, demonic powers. People in Greece were enslaved to this python spirit that told the future through that lady, Pythia, and now through the slave girl. This was heavy duty demon activity in the area where Paul, by the leading of the Spirit, was now taking the gospel. This is head-on radical opposition by major demonic power in that area. Look at how sneaky this demon is there. The demon has all the right information. These men worship the Most High God and proclaim to you the way of salvation. The demon through the girl was saying all the right things but it was not the right spirit. It took Paul a few days to deal with it. I don't know if he didn't get it at first or what was going on, but finally he senses, he understands that it's the wrong spirit, saying all the right things, but it's the wrong spirit. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks of the gift of discerning of spirits or distinguishing spirits by which through the supernatural enabling of the Holy Spirit, you can discern if something someone or some ideology is from the Lord, from the flesh, or from the devil. Paul, by the Holy Spirit here, this is important for our lives, by the Holy Spirit discerns that though the right words are being said, it is the wrong spirit behind them. And he rebukes the spirit in the name of Jesus and deals with it. Everyone in the city would have known, wait, that's that little fortune teller slave girl possessed by the python spirit. 
So it wouldn't be good for her to have, for her to be promoting Christianity. Paul got that, discerned the spirit that was behind it, dealt with it. Now, cast the demon out. We know Paul. Paul's not just going to leave her laying there with no demon and move on. Paul's going to preach the gospel to her. We can assume that this girl was born again by the spirit of God, became a Christian. So now what we have in the church is a rich, upper-class Asian woman, and now we have a formerly demon-possessed, lower-class slave girl. Look what the Holy Spirit's doing. That's so radical. If Paul was making this stuff up himself, he couldn't have pulled that off. Couldn't have pulled that off. Look what happens next. Verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews and are proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer guard to secure them. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Stop right there. How many of us at this juncture would be saying, oh, wait, Lord, I must have gone somewhere wrong here. This can't be what you have for my life. That was exactly what the Lord had for Paul's life. The Holy Spirit led them into a place of opposition, into a place of pain, into a place of suffering. Now the payoff would far outweigh the pain. There would be a church that would be birthed. Later there would be a letter written to them that would become scripture that millions throughout the years would read. Whole nations would be changed because of what went down here. If you were to ask Paul now, was it worth the beating? Was it worth the imprisonment? Absolutely, no question about it. But how many of us at that juncture would have said, wait, this can't be what you have for my life, God. See, the work of the Spirit in our lives is not always going to look like what we want our lives to look like. You know, in my own life, my daughter has cancer for the second time. It's not what I want my life to look like. But I'm absolutely sure that I'm in the middle of God's will. There's just no question about it. I, I can't explain that all to you. That's just gnarly God stuff. But we know as a family that this is where God has us. And we are experiencing God meeting us in that place and bearing fruit through it. People are getting saved because this little girl has cancer. People are learning to pray because this little girl has cancer. But that's nothing compared to the life of Paul. But the Holy Spirit will sometimes lead you into difficult places that will bear much fruit for his glory, but will cause us to have to endure. I want you to see what happened next, verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Okay, they just got the snot beaten out of them. They're shackled and they're worshiping Jesus in the inner prison. And the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there came a great earthquake. Earthquake. 
so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. As a Roman jailer, if your prisoner escaped, capital punishment, Rome would kill you. In Roman society, it was considered honorable to kill yourself if you knew you were going to die. So that's what he was going to do. Verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we're all here. Okay, they were loose, but they didn't go anywhere. And he called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to them together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Was it worth it? Did the spirit know what he was doing? Absolutely. Saved a whole household here. And now all of a sudden there's a church. Okay, now now trip out on the first service of this church. Who's going to be at the first service, right? You're going to have the rich upper class Asian woman. You're going to have the young lower class slave, formerly demonized girl. And now you're going to have the Roman jailer, middle class guy, all sitting in the first service together. I mean, what a trip was that? They're they're looking at the demon chick. They're like, weren't you the python girl? (laughs) Yeah, but I've been saved by Jesus. Weren't you beating people in prison? Yeah, but I've been saved by Jesus. Aren't you the rich lady? Yeah, but the Lord. I just, who could ever bring those people together? But the gospel of God and the person and the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God does. That's what God does in the church and that's what God does in your life. You see, there were points here where it didn't make any sense for Paul. Multiple junctures. But in the end, it makes perfect sense and I want to tell you that, that, that God is working that in your life. God is working that in your life. He cares desperately and intimately about all of your life. And through the study of Philippians now, because the main point of Philippians is joy, the joy of the Lord, He wants to bring us into this new place where we, because we know Jesus, rejoice in our tribulations, where we really experience the joy of the Lord being our strength. That's what was going on in the life of Paul and Silas when they sang in prison. That's what's going to be communicated now in the book of Philippians as he writes to them 10 years later from another prison. And so somewhere deep in the DNA of this church, the church in Philippi, is the sense of the joy in the presence of Jesus even when things don't make sense. Leonard Ravenhill in his book Revival Praying on page 51 says, converts often take on the atmosphere in which they were born. And this church was born in adversity, opposition, pain, suffering, and yet the power of the gospel and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that infected that church. Paul's going to communicate that those same things to them years later. And we're going to learn this thing together. Listen, our lives aren't going to look like Paul's life, but we can be sure that there's going to be times of redirection. There's going to be times of opposition, times of suffering. But what we're going to learn in Philippians 
is that Jesus is the greatest treasure in all the universe. And that he brings us joy no matter how little things make sense, no matter how painful this life gets, we are able to have the joy of the Lord that transcends every temporal circumstance. We are going to be able to say, as Paul said, to me, to die is gain, but to live is Christ. And Christ will be glorified in my body, whether through life or by death. And we will learn these things by the grace of God. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful story of your spirit leading. Thank you that you pulled Paul Paul into your story and you're wanting to pull us into your story. Lord, help us to be people that live out your story and not our own. Jesus, become more valuable, more preeminent, more beautiful, more desirable in our lives. I know that when we pray that, that, That often means there's going to be some difficulties in our lives. Your spirit's going to lead us right into some opposition and some pain. We want to say today that we trust you in that, Lord. We don't understand it all, but we trust you and we believe that you are good. We ask that you do a deep work in us. Lord, give us ears to hear what the spirit says for our church and for our lives. Give us the grace to obey when we hear no or go. Holy Spirit, reveal more of Jesus to us as a church and as individuals. In Jesus' name, amen.